Sermon number 535, Holy Alliances, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on April 26, 1970. The text is Mark, the tenth chapter, the ninth verse, What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. One of the great thrills which one has serving as pastor of such a great church as this Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, but the number of friends that he is able to make through the membership and for the inspiration which many of them bring to him and to the members of the staff of this church. I've done this before, and because we're running a little ahead today, and also that I think it's important for our family worship, I would like to mention a few of these persons that have been a great inspiration to me. And as you might know, speaking as an unmarried man, I'd have to mention that these are all ladies. A week ago Friday in this sanctuary, we laid to rest the eldest member of our congregation, Mrs. Blanche Frymoyer a woman who was a great inspiration to me. Her daughters are here today. She used to wear a red hat that was a favorite of mine, and though I think her daughters wish that she would somehow lose the hat, every Sunday, practically, she wore it for my benefit. I told her I always preached better when I could look down and see that red hat, and in a great ladylike fashion she expressed to me confidence and love, and we had a deep relationship of understanding between the great generations, which we both were a part of, but nevertheless which were bound over by the great love of Christ. She has passed on to her eternal reward. But we have two other ladies who sat only a pew away from Mrs. Frymoyer each Sunday. One of them had her birthday last Friday, by the way, the day that we buried Mrs. Frymoyer, was the 94th birthday of Maggie McKnight. And right beside her this morning is Bella Heberling, who will have her 94th birthday on Tuesday. These two ladies with Mrs. Frymoyer have been a great inspiration to me. And though it may not be altogether Presbyterian, I think it is in fitting tribute if these two ladies who are present would please stand, and in memory of Mrs. Frymoyer, these great three leaders in the congregation of this church, and these two ladies have been members since their baptism, almost, or since they joined the church almost 80 years ago. I would like them to stand, and I would like our congregation to express a hand of applause for the great leadership and faith that these people have given to us. Maggie, Bella, would you please rise? They're here in the front section to my left. May God continue to bless you forever. Our sermon today, 
holy alliances. The text, Mark, the tenth chapter, beginning to read at the first verse. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as his custom was, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and put her away. But Jesus said to them, For your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one, so that they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God hath joined together let no man put asunder. The text for this sermon, What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, I'm sure all of you recognize that scriptural text as being a part of our marriage ceremony. This is a verse which we have in Christ's teachings as he gave it in answer to a question presented by the Pharisees on that very ticklish subject of marriage and divorce. However, like many of the sayings of our Lord, their application goes far beyond the original circumstance. Whatever God hath joined together, Whatever it is, no man should ever feel or attempt to put it asunder. And one of the things that I would like us to look at today are some of those holy alliances which God put together since the beginning of time, which Christ dares us to try to break, and which when we do put asunder, we do only to our own peril and our own harm. For it seems not only in the marriage bond, but in many other relationships of life, that God has intended should be kept together. We, for somehow or another, try to separate them. And because we do so, we, we become weaker and stumbling, and not the people of faith and of understanding and of power that God expects us to be. Let's take that first holy alliance religion and character. These two fit together like a hand in a glove. Since the beginning of time, God has expected us to be people who are religious and to in turn allow their religion to make a definite impact for the good upon their character. Why did religion come about? I think that you will find in every one of the major and some of the minor religions that exist in the world today, you will find that they all have the same common denominator of origination. Do they not come into this world as man's attempt to lead a holy and a godly life, to become a better person? 
We feel that it is religion that brings about the impetus for an individual to become the good person that God created him to be when he brought him into this earth. You see, religion is definitely to have an effect upon our personal behavior. Yet you'd be surprised the number of people who don't really believe this. You can tell by their actions and by their words, they seem, somehow have seemed to miss the whole point that their religion is to tell in their personal conduct and in their personal behavior. They don't seem to somehow get the idea that what goes on here this morning and, and what happens in your home with your open Bible and while you're down on your knees should have a difference with the way that you act in the shop or in the office or at the party. We, we haven't done a very good job of getting these two together, have we? In 1941, when religion was booming in America, the Reader's Digest, the January edition of that year, had in it an article entitled, God and the American People. It was the results of a survey that was taken nationwide on religious questions. Do you believe in the existence of God? Ninety-five percent of the people answered, yes. But when they were asked, why do you try to lead a holy and a good and a clean life? Only twenty-five percent gave religion as a part of the determining factor. When asked, does your religion make a difference in your politics, in your business ethics, in your personal social life, 54% said no, which led Dr. Greenberg, a man who analyzed these figures, to come up with this astounding and true statement that people apparently do not associate God directly with personal behavior. And folks, that's tragic. That is putting asunder two of the mighty things that God put together, religion and character. The church and church people must be very careful that they do not become a party to such a divorce, that many times they are. This is one of the things that frightens me, being a pastor of such a, a large congregation that seems to be doing so much. I'm afraid sometime, though, that in this church and, yes, other churches, with our bigness, with our beautiful sanctuaries, with our great complex of buildings, with our intricate programs and with our multiple staffs, we somehow give the impression to people that religion is something they support instead of Religion being something that is to change them. Sometimes I'm afraid we, we give the impression that maybe we're, this is all a big show. And all that is really required of anybody is just to come once in a while, to put in appearance, to make sure his name's on the roll, to send his kids to the church school, drop a few bucks in the offering plate, and then all of his obligation to his religion is fulfilled. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. If this religion is not having a definite, definite impact on how you live, if it is not giving you more faith and more understanding and you are not more lovable to live with, not more patient, not more filled with those fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, meekness, goodness, gentleness. If your church is not changing you, then perhaps you better change churches. Because, you see, you are divorcing a holy alliance which God gave us when he expects our religion to make a difference in our personal life. I don't care how often you come to church, how many times you've read the Bible, if it doesn't show in this particular personality, it's of no use. Jesus never said, just whosoever knows me shall come into the kingdom of heaven. That whosoever knoweth my will and does it, that's the man who comes in. Look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you know, is that little man in the original internal revenue who, who climbed the tree to see Jesus. And Jesus said, come down out of that tree, I'm going to your house for dinner. And Christ went into that house. And Zacchaeus, you remember, was converted. And the first thing that Zacchaeus realized that he had to do after Christ came into his house was to get his own house in order. Zacchaeus was saved. But the first thing he realized he had to do was to face the moral consequences of what salvation means. And he had to change. It demanded a definite change in his own life, otherwise he could not remain on terms with Jesus Christ. So he began to repay those that he had stolen from fourfold. He began to speak to people that before he used to ignore. He probably kissed his wife more often and was a little more lovable around the house. His religion, you see, made a difference in how he lived. And if your religion seems separated, from your personal conduct, and you feel that there is no relationship whatsoever. You've missed the whole point, and you have divorced a holy alliance that God gave to us in giving us religion and character. There's another marriage we have a hard time keeping together. It's the holy alliance which God created when he brought faith and reason together. It's strange. I don't know why we don't learn soon, but somehow we in the church are always seemingly the last to, to get hold of, of some of our mistakes and to grow from them. But this fight over faith and, and reason has been going on so long. You, you know the basic argument. Some people say, if you're going to be a believer, you can't be a thinker. And if you're going to be a thinker, you can't be a believer. Rubbish. We thought we had this argument settled more than 400 years ago, but it still creeps up practically every week. Remember 400 years ago when an individual, what was his name, Copernicus? brought forth that particular theory of his which branded him as a heretic. 
He was right all along, but the church people were calling him wrong. Remember, he said that perhaps the earth is not the center of the universe and is not the hub around which everything else rotates, but rather the earth is merely a planet, and like all the other planets, it rotates around the sun. They called that man a heretic. The war was on between faith and reason. They said, if you follow Jesus Christ, you cannot follow Copernicus. And they fought, and they fought, and they fought. And finally, when somebody was able to listen, and they found that Copernicus was right, faith and reason joined hands and were happy once again. But then again it happened when a few geologists said, perhaps the earth is a little bit older than some of you biblical people thought it was. Instead of just being a few thousand years old, as some of the Bible commentators thought it was, they said, Perhaps it is millions of years old. And again, the people of faith began to fight the people of reason, and the holy war was on. And people were saying, if you believe in the rock of ages, you can't believe in the ages of rocks. Finally, they got that settled, and no one seemed to be out the worse when they decided maybe the earth is older than we thought it was. And then about a hundred years ago, some of these pioneers of what we call modern science brought forth some ideas that immediately the church branded as being ridiculous and heretical. And we started all over again. And I can name you places and people who even in this day are still arguing that there is a great difference between faith and reason, and they do not realize the important thing that though God gives faith to us and we thank him for it, where do you think the ability for our mind to think comes from? It is God who gives to this thing called the brain the ability to comprehend and to analyze and to think. And that is just as much of a gift from God as is that intangible called faith. But some people in the church can't seem to get that point. And when anything new comes down the pipe, they immediately become frightened and feel that any type of thinking is a challenge to their faith. Oh, my. This is all so unnecessary. Look, when the world finally was in agreement that the earth was not the center of the universe, but really the sun was. Tell me, did we lose anything from the biblical truth? When most Bible scholars were ready to agree that the rocks are older than maybe our forefathers thought, you know, not one jot or tittle was taken from the scriptures. And you know, when we finally do resolve this argument that is still in some people's mind that where exactly we descended, whether or not our, our, our great forefathers were animals or we came out of nothing. You know, when we finally get that thing solved in the hearts and minds of all the people, you know, it's not going to matter one bit of difference. God is still God, and many of these great discoveries that are being founded today and some of these new ideas that are challenging some of the sacred things that we of the faith have had for a long time. You know, they don't take away from God, they only grow and, and make better and more majestic the great conception we can have of our Creator. But we never learn. 
We never learn. And as soon as something new happens, the people of reason begin to gain gain on its bandwagon, and the people of faith get out their armor, and the war goes on and on and on. And it's so unnecessary. And it's so dangerous, too. It's so dangerous because oftentimes we prohibit the activity of God's Holy Spirit in the world today, which has not told us whether it's going to work through the heart of man or through the mind of man, and can just as well come down in the area of reason as it can in the area of faith. Because, you see, in God's mind there is a holy alliance between reason and faith. Our Lord himself said, did he not, that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind. Which means it's not just enough for us to love God with the, with the love of our faith that is in our heart, but we must love him with the intelligence which is in our mind as well. May we never forget that the reason this symbol, the cross, is at the front of our church was not because men had too little faith. No, the problem was the religious leaders of that day had too much faith and not enough reason. And when a new voice began to speak in a new face and some new ideas came along, those people who felt that they had to defend the faith put to death Jesus Christ and nailed him on a cross. May we never be guilty of trying either to erase faith or reason from the great marriage that God has created in heaven and is expected to be here on earth. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man try to put asunder. For if we do, we lose. And the third holy alliance Reconciliation and mission. In God's sight, I'm convinced, these two go hand in hand, and you cannot have one without the other. Reconciliation is of little effect without mission, and mission is of no power unless first there is the reconciliation. Yet, on our social scene today, we've divided almost neatly into two camps in trying to solve some of these great dilemmas of poverty and war and racism and some of these other evils that have couched themselves so secretly and quietly for so long in our society structures. People say there's only one of two ways that you can get rid of them. And we find people over here who are saying the only way that it can be done is through the reconciling power of God through Jesus Christ. And our job is to convert these people to Jesus Christ. And then we shall have peace on earth and the goodwill towards men. And you know something? They're right. Those people are right. Yet on the other hand, you have a group of people that say, People who only talk about reconciliation and sit in their churches and never do anything, that will never bring it about. It takes people out here on the front line, people who are in mission, people who are willing to get their hands dirty, people who are willing to sweat and to give of their time, their money, and yes, even their lives for the causes of these great people who are suffering and who need help. 
then when these people get involved and we get the world awakened, then we shall have that little bit of heaven that is expected for us to know here on earth. And you know something? Those people are right. They're absolutely right. And God is in heaven pulling for both sides because when he originally made this plan, it was reconciliation combined with mission to bring forth the kingdom of God here on earth. But we argue and we fight and we disagree and we divorce part of God's plan. Folks, we've got to have people reconciled between God and themselves before there can be reconciliation between man and man. Jesus, did he not say, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, he did say that, but he said also, Go ye into all the world and baptize in my name. He expects us to be reconciled, but not just that. He expects us to be in mission in reconciliation of teaching and preaching and living this unitedness that now we have between God and ourselves through Jesus Christ. You see, it's just not enough for us to sit in our very pleasant sanctuary and sing, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, hallelujah, I'm saved. That salvation doesn't do much good unless it's out here on the front line being in mission and telling people that you are saved and how they might be saved too. And that the salvation of the world is wrapped up in God's salvation for mankind. And until we get out of our comfortable pews and those of us who have been reconciled get into mission, there's not going to be much hope for the world. And likewise, these people over here who get excited about everything that happens, these individuals who want to correct every wrong, these people who want everything done yesterday, these people who are in mission, I'm sorry, but their mission will not be successful in first until first they are reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. No government program, no matter how much the subsidy is, it will be of no effect if the love of God through Christ, the reconciling which can come only through the Master, is not there. And just as some of us are guilty of not getting out on the front trenches, many who are out there don't have the ammunition which we in the church have. But we keep on fighting. Instead of fighting together as the united front which God intended us to be using reconciliation and mission against the great powers and evils and principalities of this darkened age, we stand fighting one another over the back fence and we're losing the war which is out in front of us. Do you, you see what divorcing the holy alliances can do? In the Bethel program, we're in 13 weeks now, and this church should be thrilled that they have such dedicated people to get involved in such a program. These trainees have found through the teachings of the scripture the biblical message which was first given to Abraham and which is given to any man who is in a covenant relationship with God, that we are blessed to be a blessing 
And if we are not a blessing, then there's not much sense for our blessedness. And if that simple message which came over 4,000 years ago could come anew to our community today, we would have the reconciliation with the mission, and the world would be blessed because of the blessing which Christ has given unto us. You know, about 2,300 years ago this past week, God left, led the Jews out of the bondage of Egypt into the wilderness which eventually brought them to the promised land of the Israelites. It was very difficult for 40 years for those Jews, and they could not have made it if they had not had two people. History calls them Moses and his brother, Aaron. I am convinced that they had not Moses and Aaron, or at least two people just like them. Those Jews would still be wandering to this day. But under the leadership, not of just one of them, but of both of them, Moses the prophet and Aaron the priest, they could have never made it. But because of the leadership of those two who were in alliance, they were able to find, though it took them 40 years, the promised land. You know, people, we're in a lot of wandering these days. And out there is the promised land. It's still in the future. And like the ancient Israelites, our destiny rests in the alliance which God has given to us for leadership and for guidance. 